It's Monday, September 7th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. President Trump has come under criticism for comments attributed to him where he called U.S. service members killed in combat suckers and losers. While the president has vehemently denied saying anything, various news organizations have independently confirmed his words. Ginger Gibson, deputy Washington digital editor at NBC News, joins us for all the fallout from those statements, the rush to release a vaccine, and states in desperate need for another coronavirus relief bill. Next, one of the main keys to preventing COVID-19 indoors is proper ventilation. Health scientists have started to issue recommendations to schools and businesses that want to reopen on how often indoor air needs to be replaced. For schools, think open windows with fans, air purifiers, and upgraded HVAC systems. Caitlin McCabe, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how good ventilation can help keep coronavirus particles at bay. Finally, many unoccupied buildings that were abandoned during the coronavirus shutdowns and left empty for long periods of time may have a new uninvited guest, mold. The CDC has warned people who are reopening buildings to watch out for potential hazards like mold and the bacteria that causes Legionnaire's disease. Louise Matsakis, reporter at Wired, joins us for what to know about mold problems. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. You know, people should come forward if they, you know, anonymous sources are, are interesting, but, uh, you know, it's never going to have the credibility, I think, for the general public unless someone, you know, people actually come forward. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me back. Let's talk about some of the fallout from these comments that were attributed to President Trump about the military. There was a story in The Atlantic by Jeffrey Goldberg, and he tells a couple stories. One of them was from 2018 when he was going to visit a World War I cemetery in France that got canceled. In that article, he said that, you know, why should I go to that cemetery? It's filled with losers. He called some of the Marines that died suckers. And the rest of the article goes on to uh, talk about how, you know, he always didn't get along with John McCain, words that he said there. How have these comments uh, uh, played out? What's been the reaction to, to this so far? Well, let's start um, just from the beginning and make clear that Trump has vehemently denied the descriptions and accounts that are in that article. Some of his aides who were with him on that trip to France have also denied the accounts that are in this article, insisting that he is a supporter of the troops. But putting that aside, the descriptions that are in this article are just really detrimental to the president and to the positions that he's taken as someone who is such a supporter and cheerleader for American troops. And I think what's clear here, too, is that he's not talking about military members, um, all of these being losers who are who are actively engaged in warfare. He's talking about the ones who have been captured, who have died, who have been injured, sort of people he thinks that let the best be gotten of them at war, which is really at odds with sort of what we as Americans view the way that people who sacrifice in our military um, are. But the interesting thing with all of this is that there was not just the Atlantic, there was other news agencies that independently confirmed some of this stuff. Uh, Fox News, Jennifer Griffin, she also confirmed a lot of these details. And as you mentioned, the president obviously still saying that he denies all of this stuff, but there are a lot of people that have confirmed this so far. That's right. We have seen other news organizations provide some confirmation of the remarks, the losers and the suckers remarks. 
And, you know, there are some aides that could have disputed this. For example, General Kelly, who at one point in the article describes an exchange with the president at Arlington Cemetery, where General Kelly's son, who died in Iraq, is buried. We've not heard from General Kelly disputing this account. So there are those who say that there's lots of evidence that this is an accurate account. And on a political standpoint, we've seen Democrats really try to run with this. Biden campaign was quick to start having veterans come out and criticize the president for this remarks. Vice President Biden himself, whose son, Bo Biden, who has since died of cancer, served in Iraq. They cut advertisements very quickly describing the, the remarks that are in this. this. So uh, it was clear from at least their vantage point that they saw this as a pretty devastating account of the president. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, the president has been a pretty vocal cheerleader of the military throughout his presidency. So we'll see if this damages him in any way politically. But, uh, you know, we'll just leave it at that for now. On to a little bit of coronavirus news. We're still waiting for a vaccine to come through. The president really sees a possible vaccine breakthrough as as a key to his reelection. He keeps going out there saying, hey, we're going to have something by the end of the year, possibly by November 1st. He keeps throwing out that November number. Uh, The CDC even told states to get vaccine distribution sites ready by early November. So, I mean, he's really putting all his eggs in a basket there. You know, I think the president is uh, acutely aware that the way that the nation feels about the coronavirus on Election Day is going to have a huge role in whether or not he gets reelected. If people feel like ultimately at the end of the day he got it all together and he handled it all right, he's more likely to be reelected. If we look at polls right now we can see that people generally don't feel he's handled this as well as the federal government could have. And he knows that on election day, if people still feel that way, he's going to pay a price of people who don't want to see him reelected. So I think that's why we see him trying to so aggressively make the case to the American public that things are getting better, that they will continue to get better, and that he's going to usher in some more aid in the form of a vaccine, uh, that he is going to be the one who brings that relief to the country. But one of the big concerns with all the vaccine and rushing it, Operation Warp Speed, the whole thing, I mean, it's great that we're trying to get this done, but the concern is that people might be wary of a vaccine if it's approved too early. As it is already, there's a bunch of people that don't want to get the vaccine if it comes around. So that's kind of the concern there, that we don't rush things too much and everything goes through the proper channel. So uh, obviously we'll have to wait on that one as well. Finally, I just wanted to speak real quick. Uh, The Senate comes back in session on Tuesday. There's a lot of states around the country that are really strapped for cash. Their tax revenues are down because of the coronavirus pandemic. And the Senate and the House, obviously, still, too, getting a lot of pressure to act on something, a new coronavirus relief bill that a lot of states desperately need. That's right. We see states that have just taken immense blow to their state budgets. I mean, people weren't out shopping at restaurants. They weren't out buying things. The economy was slowed down. And that means that states aren't collecting sales tax. They're not collecting some of the other sort of consumer taxes that states rely on. And that's going to be as Congress comes back, they're trying to scramble to make sure the government is funded, that we avoid a government shutdown at the end of the month. And I think that questions about helping states are going to remain. You know, there was a lot of pushback in some corners of the Republican Party that they felt that Democrats were trying to go beyond helping states that had been affected by coronavirus and instead were trying to bail out 
states that were in difficult financial or had made bad financial decisions beforehand, that they were sort of looking at this as a means to get them money um, that wasn't necessarily COVID-related. I think we're going to hear more of that debate uh, and a real discussion about what is need, what has been caused by the pandemic, and what might be states or cities that weren't making good financial decisions before trying to uh, get this aid in order to get them out of those, those precarious positions. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. COVID-19 can probably be spread through tiny aerosols that linger in the air. And so one way to tackle that among other initiatives like wearing masks and social distancing is having good ventilation in an indoor space, whether that's a classroom or an office or something else. Joining us now is Caitlin McCabe, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me. As we keep talking about reopening the country and kids going back to school, businesses starting to let their employees back in. Uh, one of the big things that everybody talks about is ventilation and how important that is. You know, we've been talking about how people get COVID-19 by sitting in a room with people talking loudly, viral particles going everywhere. And if there's poor ventilation, that stuff's going to hang around. And there's increasing evidence that people are getting it not just from the big respiratory droplets that fall to the ground very quickly, but there's growing evidence about how COVID-19 could be aerosolized and just be lingering around in the air for longer periods of time. So that's why ventilation is so important. So Caitlin, tell us how health scientists and mechanical engineers have started issuing recommendations on what to do, how to keep that ventilation moving. So like you said, scientists are seeing more evidence that indicates that COVID-19 can probably be spread through tiny aerosols that linger in the air. And so one way to tackle that among other initiatives like wearing masks and social distancing is having good ventilation in an indoor space, whether that's a classroom or an office or something else. And so the thinking is that you want fewer COVID particles accumulating in a room and ventilation, which is really just introducing clean air into a space and getting that existing air that may contain COVID particles out. So there are a lot of different strategies that scientists are looking at, whether it's opening windows, rejiggering HVAC systems, looking at portable air purifiers. So they've really started putting out some good solutions and walking uh, schools and offices through some different scenarios about how that can be achieved. Let's say for a school, ideally you would want open windows so you get clean air from outside. You want to use some fans to help circulate that air. And then you want to have some air purifiers with some HEPA filters, things like that. The two main ways of tackling ventilation are increasing outdoor air inside and then also having good filters that can filter out that contaminated air. And so it's really good if you have those systems working together. A lot of modern HVAC systems can kind of tackle those on their own. And so if you have a really modern HVAC system, that's really helpful. But there are a lot of schools, as we know, that don't have HVAC systems or they have really outdated HVAC systems that might be decades old. And so that's why scientists are starting to issue some good guidelines about the things that you said, looking at air conditioning, window fans are a possibility, air purifiers and more. About 41% of U.S. public school districts need to upgrade or replace their HVAC systems in at least half of their schools. So that's about 36,000 schools nationwide. I think you pointed to Denver Public Schools who's already doing some of this. How much money are they spending to revamp their HVAC systems? 
They're spending about $5 million. That's going to be spread over about 185 school and administrative buildings. And that's just purely for HVAC systems alone. So that's not looking at any other supplementary materials like those air purifiers that I just mentioned. So basically, they're spending that to upgrade filters, to replace broken parts, to try to get more outdoor air flowing through the HVAC system, which is a good strategy that scientists recommend. But that's just one school district. And obviously, this is going to be a challenge across the nation and even in workplaces, too, that might be working in older buildings. You know, we're talking about schools, for example, open the window, throw a fan in there. That's going to be really tough when winter comes around. What do you do? (laughs) Make sure every kid has two coats on just to keep that airflow going. That's going to be really hard. It is going to be really tough. And scientists acknowledge that. And so that's why they're really encouraging uh, workplaces to make these HVAC investments now to really try to stock up on purifiers and make sure that these classrooms and other spaces have these portable air purifiers with HEPA filters, which are shown to be effective at filtering out airborne particles. So they're pushing for that now because it's not going to be extremely possible to have the window open with snowing outside. And I think scientists are acknowledging that and trying to work with schools to get as much done right now as they can. Just back to a little bit to how the aerosolized particles can move around and infect people. You had a couple examples in your story. One was about a restaurant in China with a few people sitting in a poorly ventilated room Some of the people were seated as far away as 15 feet away from the infected person, but they still got it. So there have been several outbreaks like this. This restaurant in China is one of them, but there have been several other examples where people have been distanced further away than the six feet recommended distance that we all hear about so often and kind of have ingrained in our heads at this point. There have been cases where an infected person is in that room and people at further distances can still contract the virus. And so the thinking is it's because of these smaller aerosolized particles that are emitted when we cough, talk, sneeze, sing, do all these activities that we tend to do. So that's why ventilation is so important in that Chinese restaurant that I referenced in the story You had no outdoor air supply on the floor where the patrons were sitting in that restaurant. They had exhaust fans in the wall, but they weren't turned on. And there were several other indicators that ventilation was really poor in that space. And so researchers are concluding that's one of the reasons why so many people, I think it was about 10 people total, became infected from that incident, including the one person who was kind of the index patient in that case. But that's why they think it spread. Caitlin McCabe, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I took a road trip to Asheville, North Carolina, which is an amazing city, and I was really excited to get here. It's up in the mountains, and it had been really rainy through the spring, and so we got there kind of late, super tired, and we opened the door, and right away was like a damp towel left in a hot car. Joining us now is Louise Matsakis. Reporter at Wired. Thanks for joining us, Louise. Thanks for having me. One of the effects of the pandemic, a lot of buildings had to be closed down immediately. And I remember in early March, there was kind of almost a scramble. Everybody go home. You just leave everything behind almost in the office. It was, like I said, just a weird scramble for uh, people to get out of their normal buildings. And what's happening now is after these buildings have sat for long periods of time, There's an interesting thing to watch out for. Mold has crept up in a lot of different places. And Louise, you wrote an article about this and things to look out for and how to prevent it and all. It was very interesting. But you started off by 
telling a little story. You went to go rent an Airbnb, and as soon as you walked in, this was a place that was presumably not occupied for a while, that the smell of mold hit you right away. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I took a road trip to Asheville, North Carolina, which is an amazing city, and I was really excited to get here. It's up in the mountains, and it had been really rainy through the spring, and so we got there kind of late, super tired, and we opened the door, and right away, it was like a damp towel left in a hot car. It was super unpleasant, and definitely this whole article was inspired by that experience. And this happens a lot with vacation homes, foreclosed properties, things like that, but we're expanding this out a little bit just because a lot of things were closed. Schools were closed for so long. So uh, there's a lot of different people facing this. So tell us things to look out for. And then obviously we'll get into things, how to prevent it as well. So like you said, so many buildings were closed down in the spring. You know, we heard of teachers who just left everything in place. You know, I left a bunch of now dead plants on my desk at work. I mean, a lot of people just kind of left immediately. And a lot of what happens is that they left the air conditionings off. You know, it was only March. No one probably had their air conditioning running. Maybe they turned the utilities down, turned the heat down closed all the windows and all sorts of things like that cause mold to grow. Mold loves moisture and it needs something to chew on. So that's any sort of organic material. So upholstery, carpets, cardboard, drywall, wood. So yeah, what you should kind of look out for is, is the humidity too high? Is it too moist in the building? And also, is there something for the mold itself to eat? Any sort of organic material, basically. It can cause some health concerns specifically in children. It could cause childhood asthma. There's a number of studies that have linked these two things. But I mean, really, bacteria and mold is kind of all around us. You just got to be careful when it's in these concentrated areas. So I think it's important for people not to be too scared because I think one of the only things that has really been seriously linked to mold is, like you said, childhood asthma. For the average person, if you're sensitive, if you already have allergies, if you already have asthma, you might experience coughing, sneezing, a runny nose. But some of the more serious things like memory loss or fatigue, there's no proven link between mold exposure and those more serious symptoms at this time, which is good news. There needs to be more research, but you shouldn't you know, run for the hills necessarily. You can probably clean up the mess yourself if you do notice it in your house or, you know, your office when you get back to work. But it's definitely something to look out for, especially if you've been quarantining somewhere else and you've left your house empty. You did speak to some experts in mold on how to clean this up or if you're maybe going to hire professional things to look out for. I have to mention the names just because I love them. Moldman USA was one of them. And I think uh, 1-800-GOT-MOLD or something was the other one. Some funny names. But what did they have to say about this? Two really great guys talked to me from their amazingly named mold companies, and they had some pretty, you know, common sense points. You should you know, use a flashlight and look out in crawl spaces, you know, in attics, maybe a closet you don't use. Kind of those hard to read places are a good place to look for mold if you can't see it, but you can smell it. You know, and they also talked about think about your own safety. You know, some people are a little bit more adventurous than others. If you find mold in an attic, you know, maybe that's time to call a professional. But yeah, I think that it's, you know, not the most serious issue, but something that be, can be kind of gross, and you should definitely use common sense when you're thinking about cleaning it up and kind of think to yourself, do I really want to deal with this? Do I have the skills to deal with this? Or is it kind of time to bring in a a professional? But as we were mentioning, you know, just reopening buildings and schools, even there was, you know, more than half of U.S. public schools are in need of repairs. A lot of it has to do with heating, ventilation, air conditioning systems. We were just talking about on the podcast how ventilation is so important right now in the COVID area. So these are all things that need to be attended to. Louise Matsakis, reporter at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media. 
at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.